Good morning. Good morning. We have some announcements. On Wednesday, we're feeding the homeless. We take reusable grocery bags, fill them with food and water, and go out and hand them out and pray with them and love on them and get to know more about who they are and their story and um, remind them of who God is. It was kind of cool. Last week, we found a new camp. We had to go way back, way back to find. And uh, and one of the ladies that we ran into said something along the lines of, I thought God had forgotten about. But God didn't and led us to her. And it was pretty amazing to see. So Wednesdays, we do that. The next women's Bible study is Thursday, October 20th at 6 p.m. here. The next men's study is Saturday, October 15th at 9 a.m. That's this Saturday. We've been meeting at the Starbucks at Parker and Hess. Um, we'll have to see what the temperature is. If it's too cold, we might move to another location. We could sit inside Starbucks, but it's like awfully loud. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, the next youth night is this Thursday, October 13th at 6 p.m. here at the house. We're watching The Chosen and then talking to the youth about that and and seeing where that conversation leads. There is the race in Elizabeth, the 5K fun run walk race that supports Alternatives Pregnancy Center. And that is October 22nd at 9 a.m. at the Harvest Bible Church. Um, if you're interested in that, check out the website. There is from our website. You can go to their website and sign up. And then we had CU at the poll a couple weeks ago. We had quite a few kids out and adults um, that came out to pray and um, pray in, in public school. So. I guess it's not true what everybody says, that you can't pray in a public school. And then sign up for email updates. So send out an email once a week just to let you know what we have going on. And the new way of knowing what's going on is we have a website, thechurchne.org. Um, there's a calendar on there that is pretty much up to date with Dates, times, and locations of what we have going on as things change. Um, that's the best place to stay updated on what's going on. So with that, we'll get started. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. I thank you for the way that you lead and guide each one of us, the way you provide for us, the way that you love us. Lord, I just ask that you would meet us here today, that you would speak to our hearts, that the words spoken today would be your words, not mine, that you would guide us through this study. Lord, I ask that you would watch over our church family down in Albuquerque, that you would meet them where they're at, that with the loss of life that they've gone through, with that tragedy, that you would come alongside them, that you would just be the God who you are, the God of hope, the God of love, the God of um, comfort. I ask you to do the same for our church family up in Collins, Iowa, and the loss of life that they've experienced, that you would 
draw them closer to you, that you would bring them closer to each other through this time, that you would just be with the family, um, the family that has had that loss of life and with the, the whole church family, that you would guide them, that you would comfort them in a way that only you can. You would take something tragic and you would turn it for your good, for your glory, in a way that only you can do. Lord, I thank you for all that you do for us. I ask you would speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 11. So the way that we got here, Paul is writing to the Romans, and he has made it very clear who Jesus is, who God is. Um, and he's led us through some some of the characteristics of God. And, and if we glance at them quickly, we can miss, miss who God is. And we've been over this. We looked at the, at the parable of the three servants. One was given 5,000 talents, the other 2,000, the other 1,000. And the ones that were given 5,000 and 2,000 went out and, and came back and yielded even more. And, and they were rewarded for that. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the one that was only given a thousand came back with nothing more. And they went out and buried what they had. And they said, well, God, I knew you were a harsh master. And you, har- you harvest where you didn't plant. And you, you sow what you didn't reap. And, and you, you do all these harsh things. So I didn't want to make you mad. So I went out and buried your money. You know, buried your talents and never used them. And, and the problem was that, that that third servant really didn't know God. The third servant didn't know that they serve a loving God, had this misconception of God. And if we, if we look at what the world says about God, we can quickly come to that same conclusion. If we look at God's word at a glance, we can quickly... Um, view God as this harsh, mean God that we're too scared to to do anything with because he's just waiting to strike us down. But we find out when we dig deeper into his word that that's just not true. That's not the God we serve. We serve this very loving, compassionate God, this God who loves us so much that he sent his son down to die for our sins, to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay. And that we've been through this, that that's why... We're told that's why Jesus told us that's why he teaches in parables. Why he taught in parables was that those who, who want to look superficially at it, what little understanding they do have will be taken away from them. But those who want to dig deeper into the, into the meaning of the parable, into the meaning of the story, into what God is trying to reveal to us and teach to us, those he'll give greater understanding. And it's the same here. We can look at some of these chapters in Romans and some of these verses and and view this harsh God, if we look at it at a glance quickly, just superficially, how the world looks at God. Or we can dig deeper into it like we've done, and we can learn that, no, we've served this very loving God, that there are no contradictions in his word, that he is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he is never changing. His character doesn't change. His love doesn't change. His will and his purpose does not change. He loves us the same before we were born, the same after we were born, the same while we were sinners. He loves us the same after we've received him. 
His love doesn't change. It's not a transactional relationship. It's not, God, I did all these things for you, and now you owe me this. No, God doesn't owe us anything. God loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. Not because we've done anything to deserve it, just because that's what he does. That's the kind of loving, compassionate God he is. There is no, no transaction that takes place. No, if I do this, God, then you owe me this. Or if I do this, you should give me this. Or if I do this, you should bless me in this way. Nothing like that. We get to serve God. We get to draw closer to him. We get to know him more each and every day. Not because he owes us or because we want to receive some gift, some monetary gift from him. But we get to do that because we get to know more about this loving God we serve. We get to press more into it. And that's what he's after. He's after our hearts. He's after the way that we can love him with an unconditional love. But only because he loved us first with that unconditional love. That our, our love for him should not be transactional. He doesn't owe us anything. We, don't, we owe him everything, but he owes us nothing. And he blesses us and provides for us, not because of anything right we did but just because he loves us. We got to see there in chapter 9 of Romans, verses 11, 12, and 13, and we got to dig deeper into that, and we got to see that if we were to, to glance over it, to read those three verses quickly, we could come away with this idea that we serve this harsh God. And remember, we're told when it comes to authority in our life that when we're doing something wrong, we should fear authority. When we're doing nothing wrong, we have nothing to fear. And it's the same with God. If there's sin in our life, if we're doing something wrong, yes, we should fear God. But if we're not living in gross sin, there will always be a little bit of sin in our life, but we're not living in this gross um, sin in our life, we shouldn't fear God. We should live in awe of Him. We should be amazed at what He's done for us, amazed at who He is, amazed at how He's put all this together, amazed at the the unending knowledge and love that he has. So in Romans chapter 9, verses 11, 12, and 13, we read, But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purpose. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, Your older serve will serve your older son will serve your younger son. And we went back, we read that in Genesis, and that's what it says. Before they were born, God chose the work that they would do, what capacity they'd be used in life. Um, but then there's a gap. There's a, a big gap between verses 12 and verses 13. Well, the gap is the entire Old Testament. We read verses 11 and 12 back in Genesis, but we don't read Verse 13, God didn't speak these words until Malachi, until the end of the Old Testament. And verse 13 is, in the words of the scripture, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. And we learned that, that it's past tense. It was after they lived their lives. It was after Jacob chose to receive God, to love God, and after Esau chose to reject God, that God said this. So he's not an unfair or unjust God. God is only following through with what he said. To those who show his love, he will show unfailing love for a thousand generations. We read that in Deuteronomy. But to those who reject God, he will reject them. So he's only granting them the desires of their hearts. We've been over this too, that 
at the end of our lives, if we choose to live a life separate from God, a life apart from God, God, I don't want you in my life, he will grant us that request for all of eternity. He'll send us um, to hell where he is not, where his presence is not there, and we will live for all of eternity apart from him. And that's not his will, but he'll grant us what our desires are, what our heart's desires are. And we're going to continue to read through that. Um, and I think it's important that we take that mindset. We don't serve this harsh God. We serve this very loving God. And the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. And that we don't take a superficial, quick glance at it and make a, a quick judgment on who we think God is. That we're not like the servant with a thousand talents that comes to the wrong conclusion that God is a harsh God, that he he harvests where he doesn't plant, he, he steals and he does all these wicked things because there is no wickedness in God. There is no sin in God. And that's how we, we end up here in verse 11. We're going to read through what God has done for us, for the Gentiles especially, Paul says. So Romans chapter 11, verse 13. I am saying all this, especially for you Gentiles, God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who are dead. So Paul continues to show us his deep love in his heart for his fellow Jews, that more than anything, he wants them to come to know Jesus. And this is the same deep love that he shares for the Gentiles. You have the Jews, who are God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And then everyone else who isn't a Jew is considered a Gentile. And Paul has a heart for the rest of the world as well. And that he's going to go out and, and preach to the rest of the world as well as to the Jews. And that his, his heart's desire is that all would come to know God. That none would reject God. That all would repent of their sins and receive Jesus into their lives. Receive this loving God. So there we read in verse 15, For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who are dead. So does that mean that God, up until this point, didn't offer salvation to the rest of the world? No, that's not what that means. What this is means, what Paul is saying here, is that there's a new covenant. That before they were under the covenant of the law, and that the law pointed out their sins in their lives, and no one could keep the law, and the law pointed to our need for Jesus. The only one that could save us is Jesus. The only one that could, could pay that penalty is Jesus. And now we have this new covenant, the covenant of grace. And that salvation isn't just through the Jews, it's to everyone who believes in Jesus. But it was always that way. Um, and the best place that we can look at this, or one of the many places we can look at this, is in the book of Ruth. And we'll look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 14. We'll start there. But Ruth was a Moabite woman who married a Jewish man, and he died. And his mother... Um, Naomi, the Jewish man's mother, her husband also died. 
and her other son also died. So all the men in, in this household have died. Um, and Naomi, the mom, is very bitter. And Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And, and Ruth is a Moabite, not a Jew. Um, and here we're going to read how salvation came to her. So, Ruth chapter 1, verses 14. We'll go 14 through 17. And again they wept together, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So salvation is offered to Ruth, who is not a Jew. She's a Moabite woman. But she here she receives God, and she's saved. And not only saved, but God is going to bring his son Jesus through her. She's going to be part of that lineage, part of that heritage that Ruth is the is going to be in that line, Jesus' family tree. So here, not only does God open salvation up to a Moabite woman, but also brings the Messiah through her, through her line, through her lineage. So does that, when Paul says that salvation is opened up to the Gentiles, is that new? No. Salvation was always open to the Gentiles. But Paul's pointing out this new covenant, this new covenant of grace, not the law that the Jews lived under, that the Jews lived under, and they still cling so tightly to, but this grace, this undeserved, unmerited favor of God, that he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us. And that instead of getting the penalty we deserve, we're given mercy, and grace takes it one step further. That now we're given eternity in paradise with him. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we could have done to earn it. No works got us there, only by receiving him. And we'll get into that. So, we'll go back to, to Romans chapter 11, verse 16. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So, don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. So, there's a few lessons from this. that This olive tree 
um, represents salvation, but it also represents a few other things. One is that when God started the new covenant, he didn't start a new tree. It's the same tree that he was using before. And that speaks of um, to these false teachers that, that, oh, I have a special revelation from God and I'm starting something new. And it's, it, it's a new Bible that I'm, I'm teaching or, or I've added to the Bible or I've taken away from the Bible or I've corrected the Bible. God showed me this special revelation. No, that's not true. Here we read that the new covenant, the covenant of grace, the covenant which we fall into, which we are accepted into when we receive Jesus, that that covenant is still part of God's Old Testament. All Everything that we read in the Old Testament, the roots, the foundation of, of who we are is rooted back there. The roots of who God is is rooted back there. And that's the same foundation. So when someone new comes along and says, I've added to it or I've corrected or I've done this, we know that that's not true, that they're teaching falsely, that they're looking to deceive and destroy. They're looking to, to do the will of the enemy. And, and that's not what we want. But um, the other illustration or the other lesson we take away from this illustration is that the Bible as a whole is God's word. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the, the foundation, the roots, the original Genesis um, through Revelation, it's all God's Word, and it's all relevant to us today. Um, and also, this speaks that God is not done with the nation of Israel. God is not done with the Jewish people. And there, Also, this illustration shows us that the, the new branch is nourished from the established fruit structure, that God's firm foundation, that God firmly, um, the firm foundation that we stand on is, is that he, all throughout the Old Testament, always planned to bring his son into the world for salvation, to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. We read that back in Genesis chapter 3 with the seed of the woman in the seed of the serpent, there'll be enmity between them. And we know that women don't have seed, men have seed. So that's speaking of the virgin birth. So right away from the very beginning, right after man had sinned, after Adam had sinned, God begins to display his plan of salvation through his, his son, through the virgin birth, through a sinless man who is fully man, fully God, who came down to this earth to, to live a sinless life, who was put to death, but sin couldn't, death couldn't hold him because the penalty of sin is death. And there was no sin in his life. There was no reason for him to die. And because of that, he defeated sin and death on the cross, and he defeated the, the power that is held over us, that we're told we're a slave to sin. Well, he's defeated that. We are no longer a slave to sin when we receive Jesus into our lives. We still may be tempted to sin, but we're no longer that slave. We can turn to Jesus. We can accept his work that he's done, that he completed on the cross, that his word is true, and that he can free us from those sins, from those powers of temptation, from those things that bind us, that he, he and he alone can free us from that. So then there's also in this illustration the idea of salvation and that this grafted in and cut off, what does all that mean and how does that work? Because I don't believe the Bible teaches that we can lose our salvation, that we ask Jesus into our lives and then he leaves us. 
you know, the minute we screw up or, or do something wrong or, or we go far enough, well, that, that was okay and that was okay. Oh, now you've taken it too far. Now he's left you. Now you're no longer saved. Um, no, I don't believe that. And I don't believe there's any contradictions in the Bible. And, the, and I think we'll go through that explanation here. Um, but first, let's go back just to chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and look at what does it mean to be saved? So Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's a two-part there. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So again, verses 9 talks about the two-part salvation the mind, the confession of the mouth, and the heart. And so is verse 10, that um, it takes two parts for us. One, to confess with our mouth that, that Jesus is God, that we believe in him. And two, to believe in our hearts. And when we believe in our hearts, I would say to you, that that's evident of your life changed. You once lived a life one way, and now you live a life the opposite way. You once lived a sinful life, and now you're living a life away from sin. And if you want to know, am I really saved? I struggle with that. Um, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. Ask yourself. Can you confess with your mouth that Jesus is God, that God raised him from the dead? And do you believe in your heart that Jesus is God, God raised him from the dead? And can you once say that you lived a sinful life and now you live a life not sin-free, but with a lot less sin in it? Um, that there was once your life apart from God, and now there's your life with God. And they're two different, two drastically different periods in your life, two drastically different outlooks in your life. And if you can say that, then yes, you're saved. And that's it. That's all it takes. There's no works that you have to do, nothing you can earn it, no, um, no transaction that's taken place. Just receive in your heart. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So it's a two-part thing. So um, when we're talking about this olive tree, this olive tree that, that some branches have been cut off and other branches have been cut in or grafted in, I should say. Um, and there's all different ways of grafting when I look this up. So an olive tree, you can graft in a, a new branch from another tree and you can either cut the, the little branch or the little sprout off of the tree and then make another notch in the new tree and, and graft it in and use some grafting tape, they call it. Um, there's other illustrations where you have a bigger branch that was cut off and you kind of peel back the bark a little bit at the end of the branch and you stick these new sprouts in and then they grow new branches out. Um, and there's all different ways of doing that, but the idea is that, that God has grafted the Gentiles, grafted those who aren't Jews into his tree, into, into salvation. And when does that take place? I would say to you that that takes place when you confess with your mouth that, that you're God. Um, and I get that from Romans chapter 10, verse 10 here. You know, the, the second half of verse 10 and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Um, so now you've been grafted into this tree. 
Another way the Bible talks about this is you've been um, written in the Lamb's book of life. Your, your name's written down in the book of life. And we're going to get into that and, and the different elements of the book of life and how that works and explain that. But just because you were grafted into the tree, you confess with your mouth, uh, God has given you every opportunity to receive him, to turn to him. But doesn't mean that you have received him in your heart. And for me, I can speak to that. I grew up in a Christian home, believed in my head that there was a God and that his name was was Jesus, that he came and, and paid the penalty for our sins. Um, no doubt, you know, I believed in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all of that in my head, but I didn't believe in my heart. And that was evident that my life was no different, that I still lived a very sinful life um, a life that really had no fruit in it, nothing good from it, no evidence of God working in my life, even though I had this. And I would even say that I was a Christian, but my heart was very far from God. So while at that time I would say that I would have been grafted into the tree or my name would have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, um, at what point does the, the branch get cut off? And, and I would say to you, I'd say at the end of our lives, that our names are, are either erased from the Lamb's Book of Life or that our, our branch is cut off from the tree. If at the end of our lives, even if we profess to be Christians and our hearts never turn to God, that God gives us every opportunity and patiently waits for us, is long-suffering for us to turn to Him. But if our hearts never turn to Him, then we're cut off, that we're not truly saved. And we never were. We may have professed to be a Christian. We may have spoken with our mouth but our hearts were far from God and we were never saved. Um, and I think to, we'll kind of expand on this a little bit. Um, but let's go to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. So the idea of this is that, I'm sure you can think of people in your life that you've met, who you've encountered, I can think of myself, I claimed to be a Christian early on in life, but my heart was far from God. People in life claim to be Christians, but then don't live that way. Live a life opposite of that. Um, live a life of deceit. Live a life of manipulating others. Live a life of um, deceiving others, of stealing from others. Um, so their hearts are not in line with God. Um, we're told Jesus gives us two commandments. And if we follow these two, we sum up all the laws um, in the Old Testament. And that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So when we love God first with everything we have, when we love our neighbor, and Jesus defined our neighbor as everyone around us, when we love everyone around us and love ourselves, we've met all the requirements of the law. We've followed the law. And so... When our hearts are doing deceitful and wicked things, then we haven't given our hearts to God. We don't believe that Jesus really is God in our hearts because our lives haven't changed. And there's many false teachers um, that fall into this category. They can go and teach God's word. They can go and, and, and cast out demons in God's name. can go do all these things in the name of Jesus, but their hearts are far from him and, and they're not truly saved. And that's what we're about to read about here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. So not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually 
do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So even though they did all these things in Jesus' name, they professed his name, they professed to be believers in him, they cast out demons in his name, they prophesied in his name, they performed miracles in Jesus' name, they never received him in their hearts. Their lives were never changed. They broke God's laws. They were wicked and deceitful. Their hearts were far from him, and they did not enter the kingdom of heaven. And at the end of their lives, I would say that their branches was cut off, that they, their names were erased from the book of life, and that God gave them every opportunity, that they, they, that first step, they, they professed to be Christians, and God said, okay, I'll graft you into the tree. I'll give you the nourishment of my word. I'll give you the, the nourishment of the full counsel of the Bible, of all that I have to offer, of all that I am, I'll, I'll give to you. I'll pour into you all that nutrients, all that um, all that opportunity to grow, to be fruitful in your life. I'll pour it all into you. But at the end of your life, your heart was far from me. You never bared any fruit. You never showed a repentance. Um, you never showed that, that you loved God and loved everyone else around you, loved others. And that at the end of that, your, your words were false. You may have professed God with your mouth, but your heart was far from him and your words weren't true. And the words alone doesn't get us into heaven, but our heart does. Um, and like I say, there's many false teachers that are going to hear these words if they don't repent. If they continue to, to use Jesus' name for their financial gain, for their popularity, for to have power over others, and their hearts are far from God, they're going to hear these words. Depart from me. I never knew you. Get away from me. Um, and they truly never were saved, if that makes sense. They didn't follow both parts. But when we follow both parts, salvation is sealed. It's a done deal. There is no going back. Jesus doesn't leave us. But until we ask him into our hearts, that um, we're not truly saved. So we're going to look at a few other verses that, that kind of speak on this also. Um, but get into the... Instead of this idea of a tree being grafted in, they get into the Lamb's Book of Life or the or the Book of Life. Um, so we're just going to kind of read through a few of them here. And we're reading again out of the the New Living Translation. Everything so far. There's a couple times we're going to skip over to the New King James or to the New American Standard, the 2020 um, edition. Um, and for we'll explain when we get to there why, but. So here we read in Psalms, chapter 69, verse 28, in the New Living Translation. Erase their names from the book of life. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. So here the psalm is David speaking, and it's, it's the, the people that have come against him. It's his enemies. It's those who, who, who don't appear to be, um, their hearts don't appear to align with God. They're, they're filled with wickedness and deceit. And David is crying out to God, God, erase them from the book of life. Um, he, he's calling out to God for God to take vengeance on them, for God to, to make a just decision, decision on them. <laughs> so 
And then we read again in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, in the New Living Translation. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. So again, we have this idea or this possibility, this concept that our names can be erased from the Lamb's book of life. And again, that, well, can I lose my salvation? Well, salvation is a two-part thing, confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart. And I'd say at this point, anyone whose names were erased from the Lamb's book of life at the end of their life may have confessed with their mouth that they believed in Jesus. They confessed with their mouth that they believed in the Messiah. Their hearts were far from them. And at the end of their life, God gave them every opportunity to turn their hearts to him. And if they never did, their names were erased from the book of life or their branch was cut off from the tree. Um, And then here in Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, we'll be reading out of the New King James Version. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God shall take away his part. God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So God's making it clear if you if you take away anything in this book, and, and he's speaking of the, the book of Revelation, the book of prophecy, Revelation is mostly prophecy. If you take anything away from that, if you um, manipulate God's words that he will remove your name from the book of life. He'll, he'll take you away from the book of life. And, and that speaks of having a heart, not a heart after God, not a heart willing to receive his prophecy, his, his, um, his will to be done, but having your own agenda. And when you have your own agenda and your heart isn't for God, you never really received God. You may have confessed with your mouth that you were a Christian or a believer or a follower of Jesus, but your heart was never with him. And, and you can do these, these things. God makes it clear that you'll be removed from the book of life. And your heart was never given to him. You never truly were saved, um, is what I would say. How I would interpret that, how I would um, come to that conclusion. So, first part, we confess with our mouth. We're believers in Jesus. Our name's written in the book of life. Um, or we're grafted into the tree at the end of our life, if we haven't given our heart to him, if we haven't followed through with that second part, our name will be erased from the book of life, is what I read, or that it will be cut off from the tree. Now, does that mean that everyone is is grafted into the tree or everyone is written in the book of life? Um, And the answer to that is no. And we're going to go to Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, and and read on that. So Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now. And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. So there, here we read that there's people who were never written in the Lamb's Book of Life um, before the world was made. So that implies that that there's some people who were never written in. And we read through, we studied through back in chapter 9, 
through Pharaoh and how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart until after God had shown him multiple times who he was and given Pharaoh the opportunity to repent and turn to him. And Pharaoh chose to harden his own heart up until that point. And then after six or seven of the the plagues that have come down, God shown his powerful hand when all of Pharaoh's um, magicians and sorcerers confessed that, that this was the mighty finger of God that was doing this, not even his whole hand or his whole arm. Um, still, Pharaoh had a hard heart. And at that point, God hardens Pharaoh's heart and says, no more. And I would say to you that Pharaoh would be one of those that was never written in the Lamb's book of life, not because God chose not to write him in, but God knew that Pharaoh would never choose him. And God made that clear when we read through Exodus, that he knows Pharaoh is never going to receive him, never going to choose him, but still he gives Pharaoh every opportunity to receive him, to repent, to accept him. And he knows that it's not going to happen, but he doesn't write him in the book of life. That's those. There are those who are never written in, those who never profess the name of Jesus, who never claimed to believe in him, were never written in. And the book was written before the world was made, not because God determined who would receive him and who wouldn't, but God knew. God is an all-knowing God. He knows the beginning from the end. He knew how everything would take place all throughout the world in each one of our individual lives. Every decision we would make, he knew it before he created the world, how it would all play out. And that just speaks of his infinality, his, how amazing he is that he has this infinite knowledge of who we are, of the decisions that we would make, of who would receive him and who would reject him. Not that God determined who would be saved and who wouldn't. So I think another place to further explain that, and we've been over this before, is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. We'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. So understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes an unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. But, verse 10, but he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. So here we read it's a choice. Those who reject him, he doesn't hesitate to punish and destroy them. Those who receive him and obey his commands, those who love him, he lavishes his unfailing love on them for a thousand generations, that he loves them. But the choice is ours. He always loved us. He's always been for us. He's always been long-suffering towards us. He's given us every opportunity to receive him, to love him, or to reject him. And after we've made that choice, then he makes his judgment. He makes his determination. He blots their names out from the book of life um, if they were in it, or he cuts their branch from the tree. But it was after their decisions first, not ours. Or after our decisions, he doesn't predetermine what we're going to do. He knows what we're going to do. Nothing catches him by surprise, um, which is comforting also that he knew all the sins we were in. No sin was too great for him. Nothing he can't forgive. It's not that I didn't see, oh, I didn't see Matt. You know, I didn't see that one coming. I'm not sure I got a plan for this. No, he knew everything we would do. And he's willing to forgive us for all of it. No sin he will not forgive. No sin that his love can't take away. 
When we ask for forgiveness, he removes it from our record. It was nailed to the cross. It was nailed to the cross even before we asked for forgiveness. It was nailed to the cross when Jesus died on that cross. Um, and God knew what we would do. And I take comfort in that. That I haven't done anything to catch him by surprise. That he knew exactly where I'd be. Not that he made me do all those evil and wicked things I've done in my life. But that he knew it and he also knew how he would handle it. That he would send his son to die in my place. Take the penalty that I couldn't pay. Take the penalty that each of us couldn't pay. To die in our place. To offer us salvation. Offer us paradise with him for all of eternity. So we'll go back, uh, let's go back to Romans chapter 11, and we'll, we'll finish up here through verse 22 through 23. So it's Romans chapter 11, verse 22, and this verse we're going to read out of the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 edition. See then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, for otherwise you too will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree. So, God has the power to graft Israel back into the tree. And that's, so we're going to make the, this determination that, that God is, is cutting off um, believers maybe at, at the end of their lives, I would say, then, then how is the nation of Israel, if he cuts them off at the end of their lives, grafts them back in? And one, I would say that I wouldn't get caught up too much in this other than the whole reason we're saved is we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus came, died, paid the penalty for our sins, was raised to life again. And that the Jews, the nation of Israel, for the most part, doesn't receive that, doesn't receive Jesus as their Messiah. But they do look to their Messiah to come, the second coming, their conquering king. And that conquering king, that second coming, that Messiah to come, that's Jesus still. It's the same Jesus. So does God count that to them as righteous for, for believing in the, in the Jesus of the second coming, even though they don't recognize him as Jesus, but believing in the Messiah of the second coming? I would say there's a good possibility that, that God does that. Um, but I wouldn't get caught up too much in this, of, of how they're grafted back in. God is a just God, a fair God. He's going to render a just decision on our lives and on theirs. And it really comes down to our hearts. Do we have a heart for God? Are we willing to confess with our mouth that Jesus is God? So let's continue on verse 24 here. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. So again, the Jews, does that mean if they believe in the Messiah to come, the conquering king, the second coming of the Messiah, 
who is Jesus, even if they don't see him as Jesus, believe in that Messiah to come, believe in God coming back for his people. Will God count that to them as righteousness, that to them as a heart of believing him, believing in his son, even though they don't know that his name is Jesus? I would say it's very possible. And that's between them and God. And and God is going to, to render a just decision, whatever it is. And that he is for us. That he is, well, let's just go to John 3.16. And we'll take a look at what he's for. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. So God sent Jesus into the world, to the whole world, so that everyone, anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that God didn't send his Son into the world to judge it. And I think that this is most evident when we look at the the woman caught in adultery and and she's brought before Jesus and and the law says that you should stone her. um, You should put her to death. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't judge her. Jesus saves her. Jesus rescues her. And um, that's what he does for each of our lives. That he saves us. He rescues us from a a circumstance, from uh, a world that is so much against us. He saves us from that. He doesn't come to judge us to come and strike us down. He's not waiting for us to screw up so that he can cut us off. No, he came to save us. And he's very long-suffering in that. He's longer-suffering than any of us would ever be with anyone else in our lives. And definitely longer-suffering than we would be with our enemies in our lives. He loves us that much that he came to save us, not to judge us, but to save us from ourselves, to save us from this world, to save us from the mess that we've made in our lives. He loves us that much. No sin he won't forgive. No sin he won't remove from our record. There's no sin that wasn't already taken care of on the cross. The price has already been paid. All we have to do is receive him. Receive him into our lives, and our lives will be forever changed. And if you're struggling with what salvation is, confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. Don't be ashamed of who he is. Don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the God of the Bible. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is who he says he is, that he died an unjust death, that he lived a sinless life, that death could not hold him, and that he is raised to life again. He is very much alive today. When we believe that, when we believe he is who he says he is, in our hearts and our lives are changed. I once lived this way, And now I've repented. I've done a 180. I've turned around. I once lived a life walking away from God. And now I've repented and I live a life walking with God. There is no doubt that I am saved. There is no doubt for any of you that you will be saved. When you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you repent, you live a new life, a life with God, you are saved. And there's nothing that can separate you from that salvation. No screw up, no mistake. The best place that you can look at this is is with David. King David, a man after God's own heart, did all these great things, goes on to live this life 
sends with Bathsheba, has an affair with her, gets her pregnant, and then conspires to murder her husband, does murder him. Um, and you, you could think that during all this time, he is deeply into gross sin and that he has separated himself very far from God. But in the Psalms, we read what he writes. He says, God, return to me the joy of your salvation. Not to return to me salvation. He never lost his salvation, but he did lose his joy of what was to come, his joy of his eternal life with his Father, with his Savior, with the Son of God, with his Messiah, with his Lord, he calls him. He lost that joy. Um, and even through his, his darkest sins, he still hasn't lost his salvation. God was able to redeem him, to buy him back. God, none of this caught God off guard that, that David would send that much, that far. But God still loved him with this long-suffering, unending love. And that God never gave up on him, never left him, never abandoned him. Um, and that God will do the same for us. That even if we make mistakes after we've received him, after we've turned this, this 180 and living a new life, that God will still be long-suffering and patient with us. Not that he accepts sin, not that he condones sin, and sometimes we make the mistake that, oh, I've been living this way for a long time and God's never done anything about it. He must be okay with this sin in my life. No, 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 don't mistake that. Don't mistake his long suffering, his patience with us as him accepting sin. He never accepts sin. All sin separates us from God. But there's nothing when we ask Jesus into our hearts and into our lives, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that he is God, there's nothing that can separate us from him. And that's where we stand. And that's the God we serve, a very loving, just God who doesn't render unfair decisions, who doesn't um, condemn people you know, unjustly or without their actions being taken place, without them living their lives and making their own decisions. No, he loves us. He's long-suffering. He's patient with us. But make no mistake about it at the end of our lives that he will judge our hearts and only he knows our hearts we know our hearts and he knows our hearts no one else does but he'll judge our hearts and that's what that judgment will be based on whether we enter in to eternal paradise with him or we enter in to eternal separation and hell away from him is based on our hearts does god have your heart today and if he doesn't you can ask him into your life you can pray god i believe you are who you say you are i believe that you died for my sin jesus that you rose again because you are alive, I can be set free from the power of sin and death. I believe in you, and I want to live a life for you. And if you pray that, if you ask him into your heart, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that he is God, you live a life different from the life you were living before, you are saved. And, and, and there's nothing that can take, you, take that away from you. So, with that, that's where we'll end today. Do you have any questions? No? You're good? Okay. Well, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to, to come to learn more about you, to learn more about your love, about your faithfulness, about your kindness, about who you are, the character you have, that you never change, that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Lord, I just ask that you would like I said, just meet those who are hurting, those um, who have suffered loss, um, those who have suffered loss of life 
um, in their families or in their churches, that you would meet them, that you would guide them. Lord, I ask you would ask you continue to bring healing to Matt's knees, that you would continue to um, strengthen them and, and guide the doctors, Lord. Lord, I ask you would um, help us this week um, to be in friendship and in fellowship with fellow believers, that we would encourage each other in good works and in love, um, loving others around us. Lord, I ask you to watch over Christina's heart, that you would guide the doctors in their treatment. Lord, I ask you to watch over Bonnie, that you would guide the doctors in their treatment, that you would give them wisdom. Lord, I ask you would watch over all those who are, are going through PTSD and, and, and EMDR counseling, that you would guide them, that you would grant them patience, that you would grant them um, endurance that can only come from you, Lord. You bring healing to those. Um, as you'd strengthen and guide Ming, um, and that you would give us the right words to speak this week, that we'd be a light and a witness to you, that we would be drawn closer to you, that we would point people towards you by the way we live our lives, by the, our actions, by our words, um, by how we treat others, that we would reflect your light, Jesus. Lord, I ask you to watch over the sheriff's department, that you would protect them both physically and spiritually. And keep them safe um, physically, but also keep them safe spiritually. Put a hedge of protection over their lives, over their families' lives. Don't let the enemy work against them. Don't let the enemy um, destroy and hurt them. Lord, I ask that you would just guide us to, to a church that we could support in the South Sudan, the Uganda region, or anywhere that you decide, Lord. Open up those doors for us. Jesus is all in your mighty name. We pray all these things. Amen.